Well, welcome to Genesis. So thankful that you are here. My name is Jason, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, one of my favorite movies is called The Matrix. Now, I know The Matrix has been used a lot uh, by evangelical churches, but it's still one of my favorite movies, and I want to talk about it a little bit here. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, the movie came out in 1999. You've had 20 years to watch the movie. So this is a, this is a, spoiler, it's, it's a spoiler alert, so I, I apologize for that, but you've had 20 years to watch the movie. I just can't help you. Uh, so the movie centers around this uh, computer hacker whose nickname is Neo. And Neo, he goes around just struggling with life, trying to understand this thing that he thinks that he's missing. He's walking around kind of feeling disconnected because there is some truth that is out there that he just can't put his finger on it, and he kind of walks through life being in this fog. And so he uses his computer hacking skills and knowledge, of course, in this movie to scour the internet trying to look for clues of this truth. And this is where the movie gets a little bit crazy. The world that Neo thinks he lives in actually isn't real. It's a virtual reality that was created to distract all of humanity from the truth. And that truth was actually that all of the human race were slaves to this race of artificial uh, machines. Now, I know it's a little bit uh, far-fetched, but it is a cool movie. Uh, But one of the reasons why I think I liked the movie so much is because I really resonated with this character of Neo. You see, even after I became a Christian and I knew what Jesus had done for me, I just continued to live this life kind of feeling disconnected or discontent. I struggled with things like anxiety and feeling kind of the pressure of this world to make something much of myself and to succeed. And I can go on with all kinds of other challenges uh, that I had, but I think both Christians and non-Christians alike, we, we struggle and we fall prey to this false reality of this false sense of security that we have here in this world. We fall prey to the feeling that we're in control. We fall prey to this pressure of this world to succeed and make much of ourselves. And as I've reflected back on my life and try to understand why, you know, why after I even became a Christian did I continue to struggle with continuing to be a slave to this world as opposed to living a very radically different life that I knew Jesus wanted me to live. Why did I do that? I realized that ultimately my issue, or I should be really honest and say that my sin, was that I thought more about the kingdom of man than I did about the kingdom of God. And so for me, I came to realize that our thoughts reveal our values. Our thoughts reveal our values. And another way to say this is that the things that we set our minds on most are the things that we value the most. So my question for you this morning is what do you think about most? What do you set your mind on most? Are your thoughts consumed by work and career? Like if I just made this next step in my career, I'd get to that next promotion and that's really what I need. Or maybe it's a potential relationship. If I just had that relationship, then everything would be better. Or how about your past? Maybe it's something in your past that happened to you and you just can't let go of that and over time that has just started to consume your thoughts. Or maybe it's just stuff. 
Like, there's just so much stuff that we think about, possessions in this world that we try to obtain. Or are you continually worried about what other people, what other people think about you? And that dictates how you live and how you act and what you want to look like. Are you constantly worried about how other people look at you? Or do you just spend your time filling your mind with this continuous stream of entertainment? Maybe it's movies, which is ironic, seeing that I used The Matrix as an example, <laughs> getting started here. But maybe it's social media. Maybe it's games. Whatever it is, do we just constantly try to entertain ourselves and distract ourselves from this world? What other things of this kingdom that distract you from the kingdom of God? And when I spend time examining, examining myself in this area, I know that sometimes I just get wrapped up in stuff, things that I would like to have. And it starts off kind of innocently, right? I'll start to think about this thing, and I'll do a little bit of research, then I'll do a little bit more research, and then I'll start even like looking, like, where can I buy this thing on sale? And I might not even have like real intentions of even buying this thing. I just like want it. And then I'll start doing more research. And over time, this thing is just consuming my mind, and I'm thinking about it all the time, and I don't even recognize it. Now, I'm not like this all the time. I've come to realize these patterns, and I repent, and I move on uh, just because of the grace of God. But I've realized that my thoughts reveal to me that I often value the kingdom of man more than I value the kingdom of God. We can spend and waste massive amounts of time just thinking about the things of this world. And I think all of us have experienced this kind of disconnectedness between the lives that we're living and the promises and the realities of what heaven has for us. And a man named Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus and is known for writing a large part of the New Testament, he tries to connect the dots for us between this life that we're living now and these promises and these realities and these treasures in heaven. And in his letter uh, to the Colossae church, Paul is trying to encourage the church because this church is being bombarded. They're being bombarded by all these people who are telling them, if you want to live godly lives, you have to obey these rules. You have to do these things. You have to have these philosophies. There are all these worldly things that were coming at them. And so he's trying to the, encourage them in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. And again, this is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, the things that we set our minds on, or the things that we set our sights on, reflect the things that we value most. And Paul knew this, and he was encouraging to the Colossians to set their minds on the kingdom of God, not on this earth. Why? Because he understood he understood that it's only by grasping these treasures, these treasures in heaven, these realities, these truths, it's the only way that they could ground themselves in their faith and in their walk with God. They had to set their minds on those treasures. So what he's saying to the Colossians is, guys, if you want to actually 
live on the path of a godly life, you have to set your mind on these treasures. You have to set your mind on the realities of heaven and the things that God values, not what the kingdom of man values. And before I go too much further on that, I just want to spend a second talking about this concept or these words that Paul keeps using of set your mind on. Other translations kind of say set your heart on something or set your sight on heaven. But this idea, this concept, or this term, set your mind, it actually means to be minded a certain way, to orient how you actually think about something. And so what Paul is trying to articulate to the Colossians here is, like, this isn't just something I want you to think about. Like, if I think about the things of heaven just a little bit more than I think about the things of man, then I'm probably in good shape. Like, if I had a scale and I spend a little bit more time thinking about God and godly things versus this world, then I'm in good shape. That is not what Paul is saying. He is trying to articulate them to them that setting your mind on the things of heaven should shape. It should shape how you think. It should shape how you interact with this world. It should shape how you relate to others. And ultimately, it should shape how we live our lives. So if we know that the things that we think about most reflect the things that we value most, then what is Paul in these verses trying to tell us that we should think about? Well, the first thing that Paul says is to think upon Jesus. To think upon Jesus. Paul says that a reality of heaven is that that is where Christ sits, in the place of honor at God's right hand. So the truth that Christ is already seated in heaven should give us so much peace and it should give us so much hope and so much joy because what Paul is saying here is that Christ, who you have put your hope in, he's already in heaven. He's already seated. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to him. Earlier in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul says this, about Jesus. Everything was created for him and through him. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. That Jesus who holds all creation together, who died for you, is now seated in heaven. <clears throat> so ultimately we can rest. We can rest in the work on that Christ did on the cross. It's finished. It's done. Christ was victorious over sin, and now he has all authority over heaven and all of earth. Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 11, that Christ is all that matters. Christ is all that matters. If Christ is all that matters, then what will keep us continually setting our minds on thinking about Christ, thinking about Jesus? And there's two ways I'm sure there's more ways, but I have two ways for you this morning, two ways that we can set our minds on Jesus. And the first one is be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. And I know that sounds like a rerun from last week. And of course, we're in the 21 days of prayer, but this is really, really important. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So if we want to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer. And not just go through the motions of prayer like I can sometimes do, but come to Jesus with an alert mind. And when I think about coming to Jesus with an alert mind, 
I'm thinking about like, man, I've got to come to Jesus with like just being totally awake and ready to go and just talking to him about anything and everything that I have. And it says to come to him with a thankful heart. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I just have a brain that works a little bit differently. My mind is always going in a lot of different directions. And uh, when I'm sitting stationary, I'm always thinking about all kinds of things. So prayer is actually a pretty big struggle for me. And one of the things that uh, I've noticed, um, and I learned this in the last 21 days of prayer, and I've been doing that, and obviously I've been doing that through this 21 days of prayer, is that I actually focus better when I'm moving, when I'm walking, and when I'm talking. And so a lot of my prayer time recently has been while I'm walking, and those have been some of the most intimate moments that I've had with the Lord because I'm alert. I'm also freezing at the same time because it's winter outside, but that helps me to keep alert as well. <clears throat> but find these rhythms in your life that help you to develop these habits of prayer. Find what works for you so that you can come to the Lord with an alert mind and a thankful heart. The second one is be devoted to the word. Be devoted to reading your Bible. The way that we keep our mind firmly set on Jesus is by knowing who he is, by abiding in him and going to the source, which is the Bible, his word, so that we can learn about who he is and what he has done and his redemptive story and who we are in Christ. If I go back to the times in my life where I just got wrapped around the axle in this world, it's because I wasn't forming good spiritual disciplines around prayer and around being in the word. If we want to think upon Jesus, if we want to set our minds on heaven, let's be in, the, in prayer and let's be reading the word. If the first thing that Paul tells us to think upon is to think upon Jesus, then the second thing that Paul tells us to do in Colossians 3 is to think upon heaven. Now, a lot of you might be saying, like, all right, like, where do I start with that? Like, heaven is this huge thing. There's a billion things going on in heaven. I can't even wrap my head around heaven. But there is one thing that scripture tells us about that causes heaven to just go crazy, to explode in celebration. It turns heaven upside down. And that is when the lost are found. When the lost are found. In Luke chapter 15, 7, it says this, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. More joy in heaven. Now, just picture that for a second. When I think about heaven, I already think of a pretty joyous place, right? Is that what you think about? Now, take that and times that by 100, more joy. To value the things of heaven means that we have to have a heart to see the lost found. To value the things of heaven means that we have to have a heart to see the lost found. And how do we, how do, we do that? Obviously, by spending time with Jesus, a lot of that's going to naturally happen, but we also do that by being devoted to building relationships with those who are lost. Be devoted to building relationships with those who are lost. Later in Colossians, in chapter 4, uh, Paul says this in verses 5 through 6. 
Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most out of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Paul teaches us to be intentional with our relationships with those who do not know Jesus. But at the same time, he's calling us to be gracious. He's calling us to be uh, conversational and relational. Basically, meet people where they are at. Now, I'm not perfect in this uh, by any means. Um, But I do feel like I have been growing in this and God's been growing me in this over the last uh, couple years. And I've learned that this doesn't need to be complicated. I used to shy away from certain conversations with people because I thought we might get into things I don't understand or I don't know or how to respond to them. And I've just learned over time to be obedient to these kind of simple nudges that the Lord is giving me and just to make myself available. And the other day, I think this is a good example, the other day I woke up and there was a, a friend of mine who was just really on my heart. And the first thing that I thought of when I woke up was like, today's a busy day, I'll reach out to him tomorrow. And as soon as I did that, I just had this like, I don't know if you want to call it a nudge, but there was just like this heavy, like, you need to reach out to him today, Jason. So I reached out to him, and it opened up an opportunity for him to share with me just something that happened in his life that was so horrific and so painful. And he was like Neo. He was kind of walking around in a a fog and disconnected, and he didn't know what to do with it. And I even didn't know what to tell him. Like this thing that happened, I've never experienced it before. I've never dealt with it before. So all I did was say, man, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And he gave me a little bit more information of what was going on. But I know he appreciated those prayers and me just reaching out and for him being able to talk. Be devoted to building relationships with the lost. Go out of your way to follow up with friends and let them know that you care about them, that you love them, that you're praying for them. And when the time comes, and I know it will, engage in that gospel conversation that you can have with them. The third thing that Paul uh, reminds us to set our minds on in Colossians is the treasures of heaven. The treasures of heaven. Paul says that we will share in his glory. So Paul lived his entire life with this kind of one philosophy that he was going to live for the promises of heaven and the treasures of heaven and the prize that awaited him. And he was going to pour everything that he had out in this world to see the kingdom come in this world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 through 8, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. When we keep our mind on this future hope, and we have this mindset that this world that we live in is passing away. In fact, Paul went as far as to say in Colossians 3 that this isn't even your real life. I know it seems like it is, like you can taste it and you can feel it and you have relationships and all that, but he goes as far as saying this isn't even your real life. This isn't even your real home. If you are in Christ, your home's somewhere else. It's in heaven. 
Your life is actually now hidden with Christ. It is not your own. When we have that hope and we have that mindset, it can compel us to live our lives in such a way where we are living for the prize that awaits us. If we set our minds on the treasures of heaven, it's a reflection and it's evidence of the new life we've received in Christ because of what he has done for us. But if we continue to set our minds on the treasures of man, it's reflection and it's evidence that we are still living for a kingdom that Christ actually came to save us from. Thinking upon the treasures of heaven, which actually means thinking upon an eternity with Jesus, that is where all our hope will come from. This is where all our hope comes from. And with this hope and understanding that truth, we're not going to just grind our way through life and bear the trials and suffer well. We need to do that. But now we'll live with purpose. We'll live with endurance. We'll run the race, living to expand God's kingdom here on earth. And Paul talked about this all the time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verses 24 through 26, Paul said this, don't you realize that in, every, in, I'm sorry, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, meaning we're running. If we're running for things in this world, it's going to fade away. This world will fade away. But we do it, we meaning those who believe in Christ, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. And if you don't know what the term shadow boxing means, Paul is basically saying, I'm just not taking empty swings. I'm swinging for something. I'm living my life for a purpose. And I know what awaits me in heaven. I'm not spinning my wheels here. Paul got it. He got it. He lived with this understanding that this wasn't his real life. And his real life was secure in heaven with Christ. And because of that, he did everything he could to honor God and be obedient to him in this life because of the joy that awaited him. Another man who knew that this world was passing away and that his future life was secure in the kingdom was a man named Jim Elliott. And a lot of you have probably heard about Jim uh, and Elizabeth Elliott. They're huge heroes of my families. I think we've probably read all of their books. But Jim is known for being one of five missionaries who wanted to go and share the gospel with an indigenous tribe in Ecuador. And that tribe was well known for being a very violent and dangerous group of people. And so the gospel had never made it there, but they were so committed to bringing the kingdom of God to those people. They know what the cost was but they took the risk anyway. Prior to Jim going to Ecuador, he wrote this in a letter to his wife, Elizabeth. He said this, I prayed a strange prayer today. I covenanted with my father that he would do either two things, either glorify himself to the utmost in me or slay me. By his grace, I shall not have his second best he heard me, I believe, so that now I have nothing to look forward to but sacrificial sonship. 
or heaven soon, perhaps tomorrow. What a prospect. Jim wanted nothing more to, than to live his life in a way that he would be used by God, that would honor God. And if he wasn't going to have that, he would have rather have been struck down dead. When I first read this quote, and when I read it now, I'm so convicted because I do not think like this. I do not live like this. Jim wrote this quote in 1948 and himself and his colleagues, they were murdered in 1956 by the tribe that he was trying to bring the kingdom of God to. What is truly amazing about this story is that the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, Two years later, after her husband's death, she goes to Ecuador to live with that tribe to bring the gospel to them. And she even brings her own daughter, who was very young at the time. And many in that tribe came to know Jesus. After her husband's death, and even in her suffering, Elizabeth wrote this, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. The Apostle Paul, Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, they were able to run the race and invest their lives because they set their mind on the realities of heaven and the things of heaven, not of this world. They set their mind on Jesus, on Christ, and they counted their lives as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. They devoted their lives to reaching those who were lost, and they lived their lives in light of the promise of the prize that awaited them in heaven. As we are sitting with this question for the next decade of how will we invest in the kingdom for the next decade. I think another question that we can weave into that to help us is what will you be setting your mind on? What will you be setting your mind on? The more we set our mind on the kingdom of God, the more we bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of man. Let's not fall prey to the to this world, to the false securities of this world, but let's pray that by God's grace that we would be a church, that we would be a community that lives with such certainty in the promises of heaven that we pour out all of our strength, all of our heart, all of our energy into living for the kingdom with reckless abandon so that some would come to know the Lord that his kingdom would come in our hearts and in the hearts around us in Woburn, in this region, in Massachusetts, or wherever God would decide to take us.